Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the critically acclaimed streaming club, the only club where we review movies. No, that can't be right. Wait a minute. You really need to think this out before you start recording. No, it's more fun this way. <clears throat> my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, this is the streaming club not not on Disney+, Plus because these ones are on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, if you're a patron, and we're very grateful to you if you are, thank you so much. None of these shows would exist without you. Uh, but over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, we have a monthly show called Not on Disney+, Plus, where we talk about movies that Disney produced but are mysteriously not available on their streaming service, even though, for the most part, by all rights, they should be. Mm. And what we have discovered is sometimes Disney doesn't know what they have, and there are wonderful movies out there that would be totally awesome and deserve a bigger audience. And sometimes Disney knows exactly what they have, and <laughs> yeah. uh, they are ashamed of it and don't want it on there. And uh, we, we discovered one of those this, this month. We reviewed a film called One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, mm-hmm. starring two-time Academy Award winner Helen Hayes, starring two-time Academy Award winner Peter Ustinoff, and it is racist and gross. It's super duper racist. We're not here for that like, today. No. But uh, what's worth noting is that not everything that is on Disney Plus is necessarily something Disney was always very proud of. Disney has made, you know, Disney's been making movies since uh, the 30s, mm-hmm. uh, and... Um, They've made a lot of hits. They've made a lot of movies that weren't hits but did okay. And they've made some major flops. And a lot of the flops are on Disney+. Plus. Sometimes they've been reclaimed by time, and now they have a lot of fans. Tron became like a cult sensation yeah. after the fact. Um, they, they haven't made a sequel. They're talking about doing yet another sequel to Tron. Yeah. Um, and I'm a fan and, and of a lot film, of those things, yeah. and some of them not so much. Now, some films were uh, just sort of warmly received when they were first released, but then got a, a huge cult on home video, mm-hmm. stuff like a goofy movie and, and Hocus Pocus. Yeah, these uh, things did okay. Yeah, they they weren't then... juggernauts when they opened in theaters, but mm-hmm. yeah, over the... People bought them on VHS, and that's what made them. And they kept re-airing them on the Disney Channel, and they became hugely famous. So for this week on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, as with all weeks, we pick a streaming service, and we pick uh, each pick two films Hmm. that we haven't seen before uh, from that service in a certain category to explore what's on there that's older. And this time, we decided we were going to focus on films on Disney Plus that were considered notorious misfires, usually box office duds. Um. Or at the very least, were critically panned when yeah. they came out. And uh, the winner, and I was surprised and pleasantly so, because this is a film that Whitney has never seen, and I'm actually a bit of a fan of. Mm. The winner was a 1979, greatly ambitious sci-fi horror film called The Black Hole. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Where the here and now may be forever. On my ship, you ask. It is unavoidable through space, swallowing everything in its path, radio waves, light. Are you programmed to speak? Even planets and stars. Whitney. Yes. Tell us wh- tell us what you knew uh, about the black hole before well, you before we you watched it. Uh, the black hole, uh, like all of like Disney's more ambitious projects, had a gigantic marketing blitz when it first came out. And uh, even though I, I was born the year before this film was released. Even when I was a young kid, all of that ancillary merch was still like hanging out in stores for years. Yeah, after nobody the fact. bought it. Nobody bought it. Nobody cared. <laughs> so you can still find it so, everywhere. <laughs> so I'm still going into like kids' bookstores and finding like tie like tie and read along books for the black hole. And yeah. I, I remember. Hell, I was born in '82, and even I remember that shit still being around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, just they uh, to to this day in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> it's a whole all, lot of all, Vincent toys. Yeah, there's there's um. Yeah. You hunchback of Notre Dame beanie, ba- beanie babies on a shelf somewhere because they were never bought. Um, yeah, the, the black hole was example A of this. Uh, so I remember hearing a lot about it. Uh, however, I never actually watched it. 
It, they, I think they put it on TV every once in a while. Yeah. So I saw like a, a scene here and there on television when I was a kid, but I never actually sat down to watch it until this podcast. Uh, and it wasn't until then that I started looking into, oh, and also that it, um, what I had also heard about it was that it, it broke the bank at Disney. It was, it was one of their yeah. hugely expensive, really ambitious films that made, expensive. that made no money back. Yeah. I think it was uh, the most expensive film that Disney had made to date. Yeah. Uh, and it had also a budget of $20 million, which in, is... In 1979, which is pretty Which I think is, I mean, that, that's a staggering amount of money in mm-hmm. 1979. Movies just yeah. didn't usually cost that much. In fact, I want to check something mm-hmm. one second. Uh, adjusting for inflation there. No, actually, I oh, want to yeah. check a comparable film. Uh, yeah. The budget for Star Wars two years earlier was $11 million. Like, the black hole <laughs> so cost black twice like as much way, as Star Wars. Co- cost more than Star Wars. Yeah, like it was uh, just, and, they threw money at this. And even though the film was in in pre production long before Star Wars was ever mm-hmm. a thing, you could see it as a reaction to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And indeed, a lot of the elements in the black hole seem straight stolen from Star Wars. I, I, this movie actually started off um, as an adjunct to another wave of successful blockbusters before we had a million Star Wars imitators and Star Wars kind of changed what people were expecting mm-hmm. from a box office blockbuster. Uh, in the 1970s, the big money box office blockbusters, I mean, there were a few different waves and mm-hmm. you know, there was a series of killer shark ripoffs after Jaws, the killer animal movies, that yeah, kind of deal. Every yeah. possession film after The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, and Planet of the Apes was still going strong for a big chunk of the decade, but the big genre in blockbusters in the 70s, disaster films. Yeah. Like, Disaster films were big money. Um, airport, earthquake, mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah. everything in between. Uh, the, uh, the Towering Inferno, the Poseidon mm. Adventure. These weren't just, these were big epic movies where they would like build giant sets and destroy them spectacularly on screen. But they also... They had huge casts of big celebrities. Yeah, major, so you can get these gigantic celebrity casts. Like, you just make your eyes pop at how gigantic all the stars of this because... They weren't needed on set every day. So you could get Fred Astaire for a week and he'd be in the whole movie. And then he would also, you know, there'd just be a million different people. in it. so these are big giant draws. And the idea of the black hole initially was let's do a gigantic disaster movie in space, which really wasn't being done. No. That wasn't a common setup. We've had plenty of space disaster movies in the interim. Sure. Uh, in fact, uh, Gravity was up for Best Picture in 2012. Yeah, that's, certainly. That's, that's a space, that, in its core, is a space disaster movie. Oh, at, at one million percent. Yeah. That's exactly what that movie is. Um, so, yeah, The Black Hole was originally positioned as that. And you can tell that, like, in the two years between when Star Wars came out and when The Black Hole was finally released, I, I feel like they probably repositioned some elements to evoke... Some more Star Wars. There's yeah. maybe a little bit more focus on the cutesy robots. There's mm. a little bit more focus on... There's uh, John Barry did the score for The Black Hole. And I want to say this right mm. now, because I don't really know how you feel about the movie, but I, I have mixed feelings about this movie. I mostly like this movie. Um, John Barry's score for this movie is amazing. Yeah. John Barry's yeah. score is this sweeping, <laughs> horrifying, that's full of gigantic mm. swells and like really frightening decrescendos it's, and odds. Uh, Gorgeous, and it's the kind of film score that was made popular by Star Wars mm-hmm. and and by John Williams in particular. Yeah, these big epic uh, sweeping numbers. Yeah. But what I do remember thinking that this time I was watching it was most of the movie. His score is this like big gigantic epic horror movie kind of score, full mm-hmm. of threat. Yeah, uh, and then there's one scene about two thirds of the way through the movie, and it's really only one scene. Where there's a robot shootout, and then all of a sudden it gets really Star Wars heroic, and I'm just like, that is totally different from the rest of the score. <laughs> that feels like a note. I don't yeah. know if that's true, but it feels like a studio note that said, "Make this a bit more Star Warsy and heroic." It's hilarious to me. Um, uh, the the film is it, you, the, you can see the money on the screen. Oh yeah, uh, this has yeah. really spectacular special effects. Uh, they hold up pretty good today, yeah, actually. The, it looks the cool. still look really cool. I like a lot, a lot of the interior design. It was up for Academy Awards for mm-hmm. its special effects and for its production design. Uh, cinematography. Or, or cinematography. Visual effects me, and yeah. cinematography. Yeah, it should have been production so was, design. Yeah, it was nominated should for have been production two Academy design. Awards in 1979. Um, I don't think it won just because it's... High, frankly, it's kind of weak tea in terms of the script. 
Uh, they do. Yeah. They do have a pretty good cast of recognizable actors. Um, Anthony Perkins is sort of the, the starship captain. Uh, also on his starship are no, uh, no, no, uh, Ru- no uh, Rob Forster is the captain. Oh, Rob Forster is the captain. I think Rob Forster uh, is the first captain. officer. Okay, well, I think I think. Well, let me. Rob, that's, that's Rob, checking. Yeah, Rob Forster, on. Anthony Perkins, uh, Ernest Borgnine. No. Anthony Perkins is a senior science officer. He's Spock. Okay, basically. So Rob Forster is Kirk. He's technically in command, but Anthony Perkins is Spock. He has a lot of weight. Pulls a lot of weight no. on him. Uh, but we also had Ernest Borgnine, mm-hmm. and uh, we also had uh, Maximilian Schell as the bad guy. Yeah, Dr. As, Hans Reinhardt. Yeah, Hans Reinhardt. Uh, it's, unfortunately, when we see Hans Reinhardt, you realize, oh, you're ripping off Forbidden Planet. And yeah. the story is just, as much as they're trying to imitate the tropes of the 70s disaster movies, or a lot of elements from Star Wars... What they're really knocking off is Forbidden Planet. And, and Forbidden uh, Planet is part of this mad scientist tradition as well that goes yeah. back to stuff like uh, 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 The Island of Dr. Moreau or even 20,000 Leagues from Under the Sea. But being set on a spaceship and the the way he looks and the way he talks, mm. it feels very specifically like Forbidden Planet. Now, Forbidden Planet's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, you could do worse than rip it off. We did uh, a whole episode of episode zero effects. about yeah. Forbidden Planet. And I love yeah, it to I would, this day. Uh, call, call me heretical if you must, but I'd love to see a modern day remake of Forbidden Planet. Sure, why not? It, it is just the Tempest story after all. I think it'd be neat. Honestly, yeah. I think if you get a, if you if, get a if director you with some it, yeah. vision to it, you know, yeah. not just someone who's just going to throw it on screen and be familiar, Ooh, yeah. but someone who can do something kind of interesting. Luca Guadagnino could do a Ooh. science fiction film. Oh, <laughs> That'd yes. be great. Yeah. Ooh. I'd love to see yes, Luca, Luca Guadagnino uh, re- remake yes. Forbidden Planet. Oh my God. Yes. Because I, I, I really like that Suspiria remake he did. No, but, he's uh, good. He did something different and distinctive while mm. still being true to the center of the thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah yes, please. Yes. <laughs> thank you. That'd be amazing. But uh, yeah, the plot is. I was going to say Julie um, Taymor. <laughs> Julie Taymor, this like. Yeah. Oh God, she just the weird, the wild, coolest? completely nonsensical science fiction movie. Wouldn't it be great? We're going to go into a spaceship, but it looks like the ancient Greek Odeons of yore. Oh, we're already off in the weeds. We should give people, if you've never seen The Black Hole, it is All on right, Disney+, so Plus. The, but here's the, here's the basic plot. Right. Uh, there is a spaceship called the USS Palomino, and it is off amongst the stars doing adventures, and uh, they encounter on their travels... Well, they're, they're specifically looking for uh, planets to uh, inhabit. Yeah, they're looking for you know, intelligent life and planets to inhabit. They're you know, Star Trek stuff. They encounter on their travels the uh, uh, what they think is the wreckage of a gigantic spaceship called the USS Cygnus, which is supposed to have been lost 20 years ago, uh, and it was being captained mm. by uh, Hans Reinhardt. And uh, he C- was a... C- Cygnus, are you familiar with Cygnus the Swan, the constellation? No. Oh, isn't it like the first black hole or something we ever discovered? Well, no, it's just a constellation in, in the oh. sky, uh, mm. Cygnus the Swan. Uh, if you look at it in the sky, it's sort of cross-shaped. Ah. If you look at the event horizon... From the movie Event Horizon, it's kind of cross-shaped. Yeah. Oh, Event Horizon, the, the, yeah. they, they Event saw Horizon, the black hole. Yeah. The Event Horizon is clearly made by some people who saw the black hole and yeah, really liked yeah, yeah. it a lot. Like, you, we'll talk say, about, you'll, you'll the, see the make, some parallels. The, makers, uh, the writers and makers of, of the film Event Horizon yeah. clearly like this movie a lot. And I don't blame them because I like mm-hmm. a lot of this movie. So, um, so Maximilian Schell is the last surviving crew member of the USS Cygnus. Uh, it is now, it's, and it's, it's enormous and it looks like... It's all weirdly corrugated. It looks like all of the surfaces are like um, the Eiffel Tower. I was like going to say they, they look like, uh, it looks like a convention hall. Yeah. Like a convention hall in space. There's a lot of windows yeah. and yeah, cor- corrugated latticework. It, it's all completely uh, dark and like it looks completely lifeless. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, this sequence where they're like, they're docking with this ship in order to sort of investigate it. And then all of a sudden the entire ship lights up and the sense of scale you get from yeah. it is really incredible. Th- so That's uh, something I miss from yeah. modern science fiction movies. Scale? Um well, just, I feel like a lot of modern science fiction movies are a little too cool to deal with awe. Yeah. Uh, they, we sort of take it as, I think the filmmakers take for granted that the audiences are just going to take the ship in stride. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a ship. Yeah, I know ships. I'm okay. Yeah. I don't need to marvel at that. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we we're, we need to get about the business of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. There's not rarely any moments anymore where we just get to sort of look at a large thing and spend a couple minutes looking at it mm-hmm. to appreciate how big it is. I think people forget, like, just how important the first shot after the opening title scroll, mm-hmm. the first shot of Star Wars was. Because you see a mm-hmm. ship fly by, and it's a big ship. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, wow, look at that big ship. And then... 
a 20 times bigger ship. Yeah, like, and it keeps on going, like, it yeah. comes in from the top of the screen. That was a, yeah. spoofed rather brilliantly in the movie Spaceballs, yeah. where we see the front of the ship, and it's moving very, very slowly, and we hear this, like, evil score, and it kind of has crescendos, yeah. but then the ship keeps going, so the music has to keep starting again. Yeah. Like, da-da-da. <sighs> Da, da, da. And it like, keeps on going and going and going. It's like a three-minute shot. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But you're right. I, I think there is a certain sense of wonder that we have lost a bit. I think mm. so much of sci-fi has become about making you know the world of you know spacefaring adventure yeah. feel really lived in. And that was one of the things Star Wars did, actually. It was also, on top of they knew a sense of wonder, but they also wanted to make sure this stuff felt like people used it. And before like it, it then, it wasn't all clean and, and interesting. Yeah, before yeah. then, the 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 prevailing attitude about uh, science fiction production design in Hollywood was almost exclusively look at how pristine everything looks, how clean, mm. how shiny, how new. And Star Wars was like, yeah, this is a dilapidated old junker of a mm. spaceship, but it still looks cool, right? We're still going to enjoy it. Um, but uh, I think the black hole understands scale. I think it's mm-hmm. a, there are actually very few sci-fi movies like this that understand scale as well as the black hole, if you ask me. And I think the black hole, yeah. you get a sense of scope and uh, the enormity of space and uh, spaceships mm-hmm. better in well, the black hole than many other movies. You get the enormity of the ship. Uh, when it comes to the actual enormity of space, this movie doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about. Well, it's, there's, it's scientifically uh, bullshit. I, yeah. I, I actually... Because I was curious, I actually looked up if Neil deGrasse Tyson had said anything about this movie. Oh, God. And of course he did. Of course he did. Uh, he yeah. said that, and he gives this like zero stars in yeah. terms of scientific accuracy. He called it one of like the least scientifically accurate films ever made because it's yeah. about a ship hovering around the, the event horizon of a black hole. You know, yeah, the, it's... the event horizon, which is the point where e- it's the gravitational pull is so strong, even light can't escape. Yeah, admittedly, that's a plot point. That's the plot uh, no, of the they, movie, is that how, they, how is this possible? Uh, how is this possible? But, you know, it's... Anyway. Um, I remember I remember. I watched The Usual Suspects with my dad when it mm. came out. And my, my, my dad, who I got the impression was only half watching it, when it was all over, I asked my dad what he thought. And oh. he was like, I, I don't buy it because why you, nev- you would never put, like, six criminals in a lineup. It's always one guy and five other guys. And yeah. I'm like, Dad, that's the plot of the movie. They know that. Mm. They address that specifically. There's a reason for it. That's what, really? <laughs> like, really? So part of me is like, that's the plot of the movie, mm-hmm. is that this shouldn't be possible. It, how it, is this possible? It, it's we possible need to investigate a, how this is possible. A movie can lose you early on, and even if it does yeah. something impressive later, it's like, but yeah. you, you didn't have me at the beginning with. Whatever. Uh, the, the point is, uh, this, this ship, the Cygnus, and uh, Dr. Reinhardt, played by Max Millenschell, has been studying it. And he's been out here so long, it's sort of like an Apocalypse Now scenario, where he's like Colonel Kurtz, and he's kind of Mm -hmm. at at the far end of the river, and he's kind of gone mad a little bit. Yeah, he's leading this, like, Mm. weird cult-like society of killer robots at his disposal. It's like... Uh, as the crew died, because he, he's the only surviving crew member. Yeah, so now he's just and, surrounded uh, by robots. So he's and he's replaced all the crew, so he can operate this gigantic, massive ship. He has to has had to build all these robots. Uh, out of what we'll find out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so there's all these robots, and they're sort of their hands are floating around these big panels in the background yeah. of every shot. The set of like we're used to seeing like the bridge of a starship. As I think Star Trek set the template for it. Every yeah. once in a while, you'll see something where it's like in in the newer Battlestar Galactica series, it was more like a submarine. Mm. Like it wasn't like one giant panel in the front and everyone's sitting in that direction. It's all sort of hovering around desks and stuff like that. Typically, it's a, typically it's a big round room. Typically, it's a big round room. With, uh, with, what, with like a chair in the middle yeah. where the captain sits. In the black hole, it's, it's not like a big round room. It's a fucking amphitheater. <laughs> like it's gigantic. Gigantic, and there are like walls of digital readouts, like twenty feet high, mm. and it's not practical, but it's gorgeous. Oh my god! It just <laughs> it just makes you feel gigantic so gigantic window where I can look out and see yeah. the black hole oh, in the distance, constantly and, in the background. It's and the, and the, the black hole looks a lot like it looks like the wormhole from Deep mm. Space Nine. It's just this big yeah. uh, uh, whirlpool in space. Yeah, uh, Disney. Uh, uh, wanted to use the technology that Star Wars used for uh, sort of computerized motion control mm. uh, m- m- uh, miniature effects where, like, you can make sure that you can follow the yeah, shot. The, the camera is, is 
programmed to move in a yeah. certain way. So, you're, so it's you not can in the match. Hand, yeah, it's not in the hand of a, a camera person, yeah. and then you can mat over like a matte painting with a moving shot. Yeah, essentially. Now, nowadays, we can do that much more easily with computers. But at yeah. the time, if you wanted to get like an actual in-camera shot and actually have the space for hmm. the visual effects and have it be consistent, so that you can actually do so easily it was a gigantic process and star wars innovated this um uh they couldn't get that from industrial light and magic it was like too expensive or wasn't yeah. available or something so disney had to create its own version of it called aces which is actually an automated uh, autom automated camera effect system which is actually a big fucking deal at disney yeah. it's like a major achievement at disney so um yeah a lot of innovation was was done on this um so again, just to, to wrap up the plot. Um, so this crew, which consists of Rob Forster, Anthony Perkins, Yvette Mimiu, Ernest Borgnine, and uh, Joseph Bottoms. They get on the ship and it turns out, wow, there's, so there's, there was someone still alive and he's like been living all alone and he's been gotten really weirdly eccentric. But Anthony Perkins, a science officer, is utterly fascinated by this guy because this guy has found a way to a orbit a black hole. Shouldn't be possible. Um, no, but and okay. he is, and he thinks he's discovered a way to travel through a black hole, hmm. which would be, if it is possible, uh, a profound scientific breakthrough of some kind. Yeah. And so Anthony Perkins is deeply in love with this guy, and his relationship. Between the relationship between Perkins and Maximilian Shell is actually like you can tell Maximilian Shell is just like, oh, I missed having a suck up so bad. <laughs> but the rest of the crew is understandably uh, uh, very suspicious, including the robot Vincent, uh, who is voiced by Roddy McDowell, not credited Roddy McDowell. And there's another robot that we'll meet later, which is another. Uh, he's a, he's a, an adorable hovering robot with an enormous yeah. ego. And uh, we meet another version of him with a southern accent voiced by also uncredited the great character actor Slim Pickens. Yeah. Your mileage may vary with Vincent. Yeah. Um, Vincent is an interesting sort of sci-fi construct. This is something that is ripped right off from Star Wars. Mm. Like it feels like we need to put this in because of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the sort of C-3PO, R2-D2 vein, uh, mm. sort of the squat little round robot that floats around has like big square cartoon eyes and uh, mm. you know comedic reactions to stuff. I'm not sure how I feel about Vincent because I like Vincent's voice and I yeah. like Vincent's uh Vincent has sort of a vast store of knowledge and can communicate with the uh, the human characters. I, I like a robot way. that has an has, ego that knows it's smarter than everybody. That's kind of fun. He know. has more personality than any of the people. Mm. Uh, Maximilian Schell gets some personality because he's you know, a villain. He gets to gnash around yeah. a little bit, but I, all the like, other humans are a little bit dull. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Vincent at least has some personality, probably mostly because he's voiced by Roddy McDowell, who's mm. just a great actor. Uh, but I've also heard that the sight of Vincent puts people off their breakfast right away. Vincent. Like they, they cannot stand looking at Vincent. They don't mm -hmm. like how obvious a knockoff of Star Wars he is. Here's my thing with Vincent. Mm. I think Vincent would be fine if his eyes didn't look stupid. <laughs> if his, he did have those he, big round cartoon eyes. He's got eyes. these big squarish you know eyes with little black dots in the middle of them. He and looks like Zax from Benji Zax and the Alien Prince. He does, and that's not a compliment. Oh um... Vincent was apparently supposed to have eyes that were going to be like, um, like stock market readouts. They were actually going to be like kind of animated. Okay. Uh, and then apparently, uh, it stopped working right at the beginning of production and they decided, fuck it. We just got to keep moving. Oh, okay. So they ended up going with this very flat, unarticulated cartoon eyes. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a mistake. It's a big mm. mistake. It's the part of the, it's the one part of the movie that doesn't look like, wow. And that's one part of the movie that looks cheap. Yeah. It looks cheap. It and, doesn't and make Vincent of... more, of a, more of an interesting character. Honestly, if they had just given him like a lens, mm. like a like a photo lens or something in there, it would have been a lot, you know, right. it would have gone a much, much further distance, I think, in making us accept him because mm. all we can see is that the eyes aren't moving. Yeah. I... So they just look like they're painted on. It looks, it looks ridiculous. To this day, Hollywood has never been really good at faking metal. Uh, they, mm. they try to make things that are supposed to be made of metal, but it's not practical if you were to actually do it. It would mm -hmm. be too expensive or uh, like it's a costume, like, you know, an actor couldn't wear it. Yeah. So they make this sort of plasticky looking stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then they, then they try to, usually Vince, if they're good, they try to like 
like make, make the like sound little, effects like, yeah, like really a, a metallic shing or a clank so like, or something. Yeah, so we're willing to accept but, it. Yeah, yeah. Even I, they just recently, uh, as of this recording, they recently released uh, photos from uh, the new Shazam film, Shazam mm-hmm. Part Two, and uh, they're wearing that fake metal. Looks like plastic. Yeah. It's supposed to be metal, metal uh, shoulder pads or wristbands or belts, and it all looks like plastic to me. Um, yeah, it looks like, fake. Yeah, yeah, Loki's helmet looks like plastic, and yeah. and Vincent looks like I could push it over. Like it's super. Like I could just kick him and knock him over. I'm not sure. It looks like he's on a string. He is. It looks like he's just floating around on a string. Uh, they did really good special effects at erasing the string. Yeah. But you might notice they did a really bad job of erasing the shadow that the string cast. So <laughs> you can actually see the shadow of the string like on Vincent or on yeah. other characters if you're looking around. Yeah. Uh, little detail I forgot. Um, ah, nice. Good. Good catch. Yeah. Good catch. Um, but yeah, so Vincent knows that, that something is up and there's this weird bit where like the crew is going to have dinner, uh, with Maximilian Schell and he's going to talk about his plans and I don't seem that wicked to him. And Vincent is told to hang out with the other robots. And, um, it's here that it gets kind of weird and I actually don't like the tone that they strike where Vincent considers himself superior to other robots and it takes this weirdly classist tone where like it's like oh i don't i don't belong with the downstairs robots Mm -hmm. and he just comes across like more of an asshole i'm I'm willing to forgive it when it's robots uh (sighs) this this was uh the philosophy of i I, this has always been really hilarious to me that on the show futurama uh which is a, a science fiction show with a robot main character they were able to get away with so much more in terms of like rough humor and cruel behavior because mm-hmm. the character was a robot. Yeah. The human character that couldn't get away with like he, he smokes and drinks and mistreats children and held, holds people at gunpoint. All that stuff's okay. Cause he's a robot. Right. Uh, same thing. And I, I find myself giving the same kind of leeway. If it's a little plastic ball shooting animated lasers at floating colored dots, yeah. And it's getting you sort mind of high, a... high and mighty over like faceless robots that have no personality or voice of their own. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I guess it's, here's what's it's like they're, we're extrapolating off of human behavior. Well, that's my point, actually, is that we're looking at, and I guess it's not such a big deal because this isn't mm-hmm. supposed to be utopian society. It's a horror movie, but, um, you know, we programmed him to be that way. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, it made, puts me off a little bit, makes me well, like a little less, but that's I've fine. always been a little baffled by the idea that, that C-3PO has been programmed to be afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, he's supposed to be, he's, he's for diplomacy. He's supposed to like, he's not supposed to be confident and make big swings. He's supposed to like, I suppose let everyone not. tell him what to do. Well, but if you're a diplomat, you should be confident, right? But he's not a you diplomat. Should... He's just translating. Okay. And his whole thing is to placate. Oh. That's his whole thing. He's to placate. Oh, yeah. And the only person he talks shit to is R2-D2. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> um, but, um... So, uh, so there's uh, this long sequence where the the, yeah. the robots, uh, Vincent, his new buddy, who is an earlier version of him, so it has the same little yeah. red eyes. Uh, named Bob, and these are all acronyms for mm-hmm. things that they made up so they could be called Vincent and uh, Bob. They are uh, asked to hang out in the robot's lounge, and the, mm-hmm. the all the other robots on the ship, first of all, there's one like really evil-looking guard robot called mm-hmm. Maximilian. Mm-hmm. Uh I like the design of Maximilian. I think it's kind of a scary looking robot. Kind of cool looking robot. Genuinely threatening. Big red thing with like angry eye plate and these weird sort of mechanical arms that extend in funny Mm -hmm. ways. He's got like Um, knives for hands and some mm -hmm. things. They spin around like... Like he's gonna like you know blend, blend you. you yeah, yeah it's, it's like, really horrible. Like, like an immersion blender hands. Like, why did I'm sorry, uh, uh, Doctor Reinhardt? Why do you need his hands to be blenders if it's only <laughs> you here? Oh, you have no idea how much I love frozen margaritas. Uh, but yeah, the, all the other robots are. Uh, like combat bots they're they're guards mm-hmm. essentially why the, he needs so many sentries in the ship with no people on it we don't know mm-hmm. uh i get the impression that there were a lot of these things and until we learn the truth that he was uh, you like kind of cannibalizing those guard robots to make the uh operations robots mm-hmm. uh he he with the help of his robot friends mm-hmm. uh he uh <laughs> so uh but these guard robots who don't have personality, they don't have faces, they are actors in suits, but they're, mm. you know, moving in robotic sorts of ways. Yeah. Uh, I guess have a lot of pride about their ability to sharpshoot. Now, yeah. they're robots. Yeah. If you want them to be better sharpshooters, build them that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a matter of practice with a robot, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, privy to the nuances of artificial intelligence. Maybe there's, there is something mm. to that. 
But uh, one of the main robots, who is a black robot, mm-hmm. all the other ones are red. I think it's Captain Star or something yeah, like so that. Just, just Star, S-T-A-R, um, yeah. uh, is the best sharpshooter, and Vincent easily bests him. Even well, though even though uh, both Star and Vincent learn to cheat. Yeah, like Star, like, bump it. Like, Bob initially played him, and he's actually, he actually says, like, you know, we're better designed than these robots, Bob. Have you ever played them at this game? And Bob was just like, yeah, I beat him, too. What happened? He beat the living hell out of me. See, and Bob is a Bob, mess. Yeah, Bob's like all dented and has like wires hanging yeah. out. There's pieces missing off Apparently of early attempts to make Bob look like he'd been like dented and destroyed uh, weren't quite cutting it. So finally someone on the, in the production took the clay mold they were using to make more Bobs mm. and just hit it with a pipe or a bat or something. <laughs> actually, actually beat yeah, it up. Just actually beat the hell out of it so that we got Bob looking like a wreck. Um, and so Vincent manages to destroy it. But um, basically what it boils down to is that Bob has been on this ship and he's been suffering on this ship at the hands of these other more violent robots. And he ha- he knows the secret of the ship and the secret of the ship is thus. Uh, the rest of the crew died and uh, Dr. Reinhardt has been using the corpses... And turning them into cyborgs against their will in order to keep running the ship and doing his experiments. Uh, And unfortunately, this was uh, Disney's first film ever to get a PG rating. Yeah. Every film up to this point had gotten a G rating. And um, even some stuff they had that had some harsh elements to it. mm -hmm. It was still still G. And even though this was uh, because there's like a a violent, a couple violent deaths in this movie and it's pretty Mm -hmm. intense comparatively that we don't get to see the true horror of what it's like to be like resurrected as a slave cyborg, I think takes a lot of edge off of this movie. Yeah. There's a whole bit where uh, Yvette Mimeo has, this part is completely unexplained and stupid. Yvette Mimeo has a psychic link. uh, uh, To Vincent. Why does she have a psychic link? We don't know. Is it technology? Is it luck of the draw? Why is she psychically linked to a robot which has no mind. Is it's it actually a, psychic? I don't know. It's one of those things where it's only mentioned in two scenes. Once it's established, like early in the movie. Yeah. And then later they bring it up. And I appreciate when they establish something and then call back to it. Sure. But that's also a, a, a screenwriting patch job. Yeah. Where they needed some sort of plot point late in the movie where they needed to find out where they were in this gigantic it, I, ship. So that video of... needs to get the information, but ev- no one else is around her who has it. So yeah. they had to figure so out they, a way. And I'm like, so like I don't this, know, man, how, okay, a fucking she, phone? They just like, like put it in her brain. She's psychic. Well, we didn't establish that. Fine, I'll write a scene earlier where she says that she had a psychic link to Vincent and that'll pretty. that'll be enough. But uh, it's her and Anthony Perkins who is completely convinced Maximilian Shell is the bee's knees. And finally, Vincent says, ah, yeah, that dude's a monster and he killed everybody. He's making he's making cyborg creatures and it's bad. And uh, she takes Anthony Perkins aside and says, hey, Anthony, uh, I think he uh, this guy killed a bunch of people and he made him into cyborg uh, monsters and it's all bad. And Anthony Perkins is like, no. And she's like, yeah. And Anthony <laughs> so Perkins is like, no. And well, she's like, yeah. Like, now, the, what we've seen of the robots is they're human-shaped. Uh, they're in these, like, cloaks they look yeah. like death and they have yeah. uh essentially Mirror like faces. mirrored fencing foil faces and yeah. uh or, or um uh, uh gi joe cobra commander faces yeah or they're sort of like chrome and yeah. uh to the big reveal is they whip off one of those masks and we see just sort of like a, a, a cadaver a, inside yeah a corpse inside what an opportunity what, if that thing had had like wires coming out of his eye yeah. sockets. Um, and do like you remember the movie Fortress where they captured yeah. one of the guards and they pulled off its mask and it, it, like its jaw had been ripped open and its face was all distended cool and weird and movie. sick and and they said like, oh no, they wired his brain directly into the mainframe and that like, it's like a really visceral yeah. moment. You need that visceral moment in the black hole. By the way, Fortress kicks ass if you've never seen Fortress. Stuart Gordon's film Fortress is very yeah. good. <laughs> Christopher Lambert and his wife are arrested for having too many kids in an overpopulated future and they put him in like this really fucked up futuristic jail and it's they put, awesome. They like launch things into your intestines. They give you stomach aches if you step out of yeah. line and they can explode them at any time. Yeah, yeah. it's it's gross and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs is in it. because oh, it's a Stuart Gordon film. Of, of course, course, Jeffrey Combs, Combs is, is in it. Yeah, but, uh, they'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, we, but we need that moment of the black hole where they, mm-hmm. they pull off the mask and we get to see like mm-hmm. 
like strands of glop, so, like su- sucked to the mask, and you know, like they're missing their lips or they're wailing yeah. in pain. Because you know, something like Anthony that. Perkins' reaction shot is mm. if is if he had just discovered the mummified corpse of his mother in his basement. And like, <laughs> he's got this, oh my God, what a horrible... And, and it's actually what, pretty tame from the visual. I mean, it, it'd be weird and surreal, and I'm sure I would be affected by it, but in this movie, it's considering everything else is so over the top, it's actually kind of muted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Maximilian gets to work, and Maximilian shoves a rotisserie blade at full speed into Anthony Perkins' chest cavity, which we don't see... And there's no blood, but, but that's what happens. Uh, there's no confusing it. It's maybe, really violent for a Disney movie. Maybe it's just the age in which I grew up, but I want to like. I'm thinking of some things that came out around the same time, like the Indiana Jones films. Were, yeah, were shortly after this. Yeah, someone pulling someone's yeah. heart out of their rib cage. Yeah, that was like that was like five years later. But yeah, yeah, four or five years after this. So, um, my, my Go point nuts. is, yeah, my point is, if you're gonna have this like gallows space horror opera with these expensive special effects. I mean, I know there's no PG-13 rating yet, but yeah. you, you could push it a little bit more yeah. if you're already in PG territory. Well, because, again, we've talked about this. We talked about this on Not on Disney+. Plus. We've talked about this in a couple other places. This was a weird era for Disney as a film studio. Yeah. Because the film studio was doing really badly. For at a this long point. time, too. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the film studio had just, like, there have been a few hits here and there. Robin Hood made money. But, like, for the most part, Disney's film output was really underperforming and they were getting most of their money from like the amusement parks. Mm. So they were trying to do anything they could to stay relevant because the old fashioned nostalgia wasn't really putting butts in seats. So they took some big swings. And what's weird about this era is there's like four or five films from the late seventies through early eighties where Disney made horror movies. The Black yeah, Hole is a horror movie in space. It's in a Forbidden Planet yeah. kind of realm, but we also had The Watcher yeah. in the Woods. And Something Wicked This Way comes. Which are both pretty good. Yeah, uh, uh, I would argue the Black, the, the Black Cauldron is in this vein as well, where they're trying to do yeah, something more mature and more ominous. It, it's not not a very great film, but the, that skeleton army at the end is pretty badass looking. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's some like good, scary images in so that movie. So they were taking these massive chances, but maybe they just didn't go far enough. And there's then you hear this talk about like how like yeah, we made something wicked this way comes and it was fucking terrifying. And Disney said good, and then they saw it and they were like, oh, we didn't think you meant it. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Scale that shit way the fuck back and take mm-hmm. it all the cool bits. Uh, and that happened with Watcher in the Woods where. The movie ended with this reveal of this really horrifying bug-like monster, and then they cut that out. Yeah, it turned out... In, <laughs> it's not in the, in the movie. In the release after that, it was invisible. It was like something yeah. that had possessed another character. But if you watch the deleted endings for Watcher in the Woods, you see one of the coolest movie monsters I've ever seen. <laughs> it's uh, a cool monster. And uh, and an ending that was also used in The Black Hole. Uh, yeah. And, so uh, once uh, the shit's hitting the fan. Everybody's dying. Maximilian yeah. has murdered Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Uh, Maximilian uh, oh. Shell is now uh, saying, oh, God... Um, and now there's also a meteor shower, so oh, yeah. they, the only way to flee is to go into the black hole. Oh, we we uh, we skip my favorite moment actually. I think in the oh, movie. Yeah. my favorite character moment is there's a bit he's just killed Anthony Perkins and the robots are taking a vet Mimeo away and Maximilian Shell is like I'm going to go into the black hole and then he pulls the vet Mimeo aside and says save me from Maximilian and then she runs away and I'm like the fuck does that mean that's there's a whole subplot here that is not <laughs> discussed at all where he is terrified of this robot. Is this robot actually pulling the strings? We don't really talk about it. And it, it, it that moment where you feel like it, it would be like, oh God, can you imagine? I'm trying to imagine it would be like, imagine you're like you're the X-Men are fighting Magneto. All right. And the Magneto and his brotherhood of mutants and everything are just like, you know, they're taking the X-Men hostage. And then like Magneto takes Jean Grey aside and says, save me from Toad. He's a maniac. You're like, what? wait, what? what's Toad doing? What's going on? But we never talk about it again. He's not in charge. He's just really threatening. It's been really awful having him around. I can't kick him off the team. Like, no, it's like he's afraid of Maximilian. Hmm. Like, it's weird. But yeah, then there's this giant meteor shower, which leads to... Maybe the single most gorgeous shot in a sci-fi movie I've seen outside well, of 2001. The the uh, the meteors, it's very fantastical, but it's all really wonderful special effects where uh, these gigantic meteors that look like, I mean, they look like big glowing meatballs. Yeah, big, but, big blobs of fire, like yeah, suns just hitting things. Yeah, these big and, balls of space lava are flying through the space and just barreling through this gigantic ship and leaving big holes. And uh, they're... Cr- 
again, not scientifically accurate, no. but one of them crashes into one of like the pressurized chambers and starts rolling toward the main characters. Yeah, like the, the like the, the ball and Raiders, which hadn't come out yeah. yet. And yeah. the the shot, however, was we get to see the the meteor crashing through the roof and rolling toward the camera uh-huh. from a far distance. It's just this gigantic yeah. thing. And but in the a, foreground, yeah, very small see, in the foreground. Very small in the foreground, we see the silhouettes against the glowing uh, lava ball. The main character is running across a catwalk. Yeah. And and they fall on the catwalk and, it's, oh. and as this huge ball is rolling forward. It's really cool. Like I that. saw this the first time I saw this movie, I was able to see a, a screening in a theater. Oh wow, okay. And that shot brought the house down. <laughs> it's just so that cool shot again. is astounding yeah, in yeah. any context. It's glorious. So they're running and they're they're running away. They're trying to escape. Bob gets destroyed trying to save them. It's all sad. And then uh, and then they end up actually going through the black hole. They can't stop it. And that's when the movie just gets weird. <laughs> Honestly, there's some really cool imagery in it, but like we're like Maximilian Shell, I guess gets sucked into hell, but we're not going to well, talk about it. The the black hole leads into hell. Uh-huh. And then into heaven uh-huh. and then back out the other side back in the earthly realm. We will not talk about this. We no. will not explain this. We will not set this up for you as though this is some theory about what could happen in black holes. It's just this thing that happens. Mm. But it's, so, it, it's, it's postulating that black holes lead into the afterlife. Right. So they go physically into the afterlife and Maximilian and the ship is, the Cygnus is destroyed mm-hmm. in hell. Yeah. And, but Maximilian shell in this really weird, completely bizarre, really disturbing shot. Uh-huh. Like we see his like a close up of his eyes and he is all surrounded by red light. And then we pull out and we learn that his body is now encased inside the Maximilian robot. Yeah. Maximilian shell kind is of, now in a Maximilian, Maximilian shell. shell. Isn't that cute? Yeah. yeah. Weird. I, I thought of that too. Weird bit. And um, so uh, <laughs> and it's implied that he's able to survive in hell, which is a physical space now in this like other yeah. other dimensional well, realm. And it's and it's kind of poetic. He's mm. what happened to him is what he did to other people. He's yeah. trapped inside a robot. And yeah, whether yeah. whether or not Maximilian sort of assimilated him like a Borg, or that he was able to use him as a suit. Either way, he is now half robot in hell in this like killer robot. Yeah. Suit. And meanwhile, Yvette Mimeo is like flying through these like crystalline mirrors, and it's mm. a gorgeous shot. It looks amazing on the big screen. But like it doesn't mean anything. You mm. haven't even really had a meaningful we've had so many conversations about like what is capable, what what black holes are could be, or what is scientifically possible, but this has not, until the very end of the movie, been a film about faith. Or, 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 or the, the mysteries be- of the cosmos. Yeah, or, or, or the belief that there is something beyond our souls, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, you didn't really set this up thematically, so it kind of comes out of nowhere, and by the time we figured out where you're going with it, it's over. Mm. Um, and that can't help but be dissatisfying. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing That's the thing I think Kirk's movie more than anything else, is that the ending is it's big and epic, but it kind of just doesn't connect to anything. Yeah. And that, that kind of stinks. Um like it, they they spent a lot on these visual effects and mm-hmm. it's neat to look at. Yeah. But I was reminded of the Watcher in the Woods, the original ending of the Watcher in the Woods, yeah. which is uh, where the Watcher, which is this mysterious ghostly presence that's been haunting the entire movie and has been taking mm-hmm. possession of people's minds and luring kids out into the woods, yeah, uh, is actually an alien being that's been abducting people. Yeah, in the theatrical cut, they don't say that. In, in the theatrical <laughs> cut, it's it's like this demonic other like Maybe disembodied dimension, consciousness yeah. that comes from another dimension and it's yeah. like has been pulling all the strings, but by possessing human yeah. bodies. In one of the deleted in deleted endings, you see it was on a spaceship. Like, it yeah, was a, definitely like, a UFO alien. And, like and the, uh, a missing character had just been on a spaceship this whole time. And yeah. rescued this person on a, on a spacecraft it, that is, like, out in the, like, distant stars. So many, so many, so there's, a lot of movies have been screwed up by, like, having their ending changed or tacked on, but... Watcher in the Woods just became a totally different genre. Yeah. <laughs> it became a different genre. That doesn't usually happen. And uh, I think the ending we got is like more in keeping with what the movie was, but mm. I, I like the bonkers science fiction ending. I think you should have at least kept the monster. We're off track, but like I think you should have at least kept the, the monster. The monster was really like, You don't need to explain that the monster's an alien, but we should look at it because it's cool. Yeah. Very rarely is it yeah, like we're going to set up this monster, we're not mm. going to see it, and then once you actually see it, it's like, that's better than I thought it would be. That's mm. neat. 
but yeah, uh, the, yeah here it's all, all of a sudden we're like flying through hell and it's like the movie well, to go back to event horizon yeah that's a big part of the movie they bring it up frequently and mm-hmm. the, the ship is in a cross shape it's supposed to look like notre dame cathedral yeah uh, and the idea that it, by going through into another dimension, we kind of accidentally went into hell and it came yeah. out on the other side, like with demons all inside of it. Yeah. Uh, interesting enough idea for a science fiction movie. Sure. I, I like Event Horizon. It's been done, it's been done before mm. and since quite a yeah, few times. It's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, they don't bring up any of that stuff beforehand. Yeah. It's Doesn't more connect. like, it's yeah, it's more like about this conspiracy about this guy who's been out in space far away from stuff for so long yeah. that he's kind of lost his humanity and is now uh, killing people and turning them into helper robots because reasons. Yeah. Uh, the Black Hole is a spectacularly gorgeous production. Like, the somewhat disappointing robots aside, hmm. almost everything else in this movie looks stunning. Truly eye-poppingly stunning like what what a what an amazing set this must have been to walk around on yeah like just some because some of it's matte painting but a lot of it isn't and it's really cool looking it's absolutely gorgeous fantastic sense of scale and i think that sense of scale i think that oppressive production design carries a lot of the movie Mm. and really elevates what is and this is the biggest problem flimsy material you have a disaster movie, and the yeah. reason why a lot of those yeah. disaster movies like The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno were hits wasn't just the scale, but because the characters were written kind of melodramatically. You know, they didn't have a lot of space, so you had to write them kind of big. And as a result, they popped off the screen. They were memorable characters. Mm. Here, Maximilian Schell is a memorable character. Vincent's a memorable character. Maximilian is threatening enough as a robot, but he doesn't mm. have a character. Not, it's just a, but yeah. a monster more than a character. Rob Forster doesn't really have anything to do now does no. he that Mimeo doesn't have anything to do they don't stand for anything they don't believe anything Ernest Borgnine's completely wasted in this film and, and he's trying Ernest yeah. Borgnine he's trying to give his character some character but yeah, yeah. He's, he, he doesn't need um, to be there it's it's frustrating and and then on top of it all the thematic material is really unexplored when mm-hmm. it could have easily been there you've got all this dialogue anyway bring up something about the infinite or the unknown for fuck's sake <laughs> bring up something about how before we had science we thought about religion as a way to explain yeah, the universe yeah. and then when that happens it'll connect in our heads and we'll be like oh yeah and then we can appreciate it rather than wondering what the fuck and then after the credits have rolled we're like oh that's what they probably meant yeah like and what happens is they fly out on the other side and i don't think is there even a line of dialogue before the credits roll i don't think there is they just sort of go out on the other side yeah, just, we've seen heaven we've seen hell no dialogue no discussion credits yeah it's like they're just out i kind of wish we hadn't seen them out honestly they should have just ended there just stayed in the black hole. They all hole. died. Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. Like, make it, like, big and like, epic d- and sad. Oh, and, there you, and you know what? If they stayed in the black hole, they died and either, like, went to metaphysical heaven or hell. Yeah. Or they just went into a new dimension, which yeah. happens to be heaven or hell. And yet, ironically, here we are left in kind of a limbo, where it's just sort of like... They came out on the other side and it was actually purgatory. Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> just sort of waiting around being bored. Um, that would have been a good ending, too. <laughs> we went through hell, we went through heaven. Where are we? Nothing's happening. Oh, shit. Yeah. How long do you have to stay here? A long time. Roll credits. Well, it can't be too bad because it's limbo. <laughs> like, it can't be. It's not hell. <laughs> oh, God. Are we going to age here? Yeah, we're going to get older and older. And nah. Vincent's like, what's that? Oh, God. <laughs> so that happens when your batteries die, Vincent. And Vincent's like, no. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I, I, so, so anyway, uh, uh, again, I, I quite like this movie, Flaws and All, because I feel like in the end... What's good about it is so gorgeous that it mostly compensates yeah. for well, some obvious flaws. But what was your ultimate takeaway? I, I take away from this movie the same way I take away from a lot of Disney's more spectacular flubs. A lot of really gorgeous visuals. A lot of people who clearly worked very hard on production design. But uh, a lot of bungling in the screenplay phase where people yeah. aren't thinking of a better story for these characters and throwing in a lot of things that do and don't fit along the way. There's some inappropriate humor along the way. And the same things could be said about films like the Lone Ranger or yeah. John Carter, uh, other, mm-hmm. other notorious bombs. Where they, from the they company. don't, they don't know what uh, they're doing, but the gosh, they want you to like it. Yeah. So yeah. they'll just throw in anything, even if it doesn't fit half yeah, the like, time. Like yeah. the Lone Ranger has like the two train chase where people are leaping back and forth. Between that bit's two impressive. Chains. It goes yeah. on too long, but it's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, just, wonderfully choreographed mm-hmm. uh but it's in service of a movie that is 
bad. It's, it's quite, quite, bad. quite a bad film. Yeah, yeah. It's just structured badly. The performances yeah. are weird. It's humorous. It's not humorous. Yeah, it, it's not uh, thought well thought out thematically either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there, it's, there were it's supernatural things that they cut out at the last minute. Yeah, so, like, you can there's tell some they're yeah. missing. Because that was supposed to be about where coyotes yeah. and or Wendigos. I think one or both. The, and like, yeah. the bad guys were supposed to be supernatural and then in the final product they weren't. So they do yeah. some things that are really odd for human beings to do. Yeah. Uh, I feel the same way about the black hole. They put yeah. a lot of thought and energy into the special effects and into mm. the production design. And those things are great. Yeah. Uh, you know, the design on Vincent, notwithstanding, uh, but the, uh, the actual, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about these gigantic uh, ships and, you know, living out in the cosmos mm-hmm. and what's inside black holes. And we're doing something that William Castle would have done, like a really simple story. I would have loved to have seen a William Castle version of this without all the special effects, because at least it would have had bigger actors and like more fun character scenes. I don't see why it has to be one or the other. I just feel like... Just because William Castle didn't deal with budgets like this. I think we're just thinking, because this movie was directed, uh, was it by Gary Nelson? Is that what his Mm, name was? Yeah. Yeah, Gary Nelson, who's a TV director. And... He had done a lot of, like, big TV. Uh, mm-hmm. He had just done, at the time, uh, an Emmy-nominated uh, uh, TV movie or miniseries called Washington Behind Closed Doors. But he'd also worked on everything. He worked on Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. The Patty Duke Show, Get Smart. Um, his biggest, most successful... Aw, Luca. Oh, Luca's saying hello. He just wants to jump up on my lap and say hi. But uh, his biggest movie he'd done before this uh, was Freaky Friday. That's right. It was a big hit. Uh, for Disney, so I appreciate them wanting, but he doesn't really. And he, he would go on to do uh, the Indiana Jones knockoff, uh, Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. Oh yeah, yeah, starring uh, Richard Chamberlain and Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone, yeah. Um, but he doesn't seem to really. He, apparently, he turned this down, and then he found out like how epic the production was going to be, and he got excited by that. Okay. And I think you needed someone who was excited by that and wanted to tell a story. Mm. And I don't get the impression that anyone in this film was particularly interested in telling the story of the black hole. Mm. And I think that's that's the loss here. I think if you had had, you know, a William Castle-like director who got, like, big, broad performances out of people and, like, really got off on, like, you know, these the, kinds the of, like, yeah. yeah, mad scientist. It's a mad scientist story. We got off on a mad scientist story. There's so much you can tell with it. Um... I think you need both. And without both, you only get one, right? Mm-hmm. And if you could only pick one, it's a matter of what would you rather have? Would you rather have a glorious sci-fi spectacle? I mean, it looks like it'd be the coolest. The ending of the movie looks like it'd be the coolest Disneyland ride ever. <laughs> uh, or do you Which, want of course, s- they were probably thinking I'm about sure it. they the were. Time, they yeah. probably would have loved to have done it. Um, or do you want a cheaper movie with hammier storylines that probably would have worked better. <laughs> and um, they made their choice. They did the Disney choice. They were going after something big and epic and that would make them a ton of money. And mm. maybe it was the bad choice in the long run. But in the end, I do like this movie. And I do hope people see it. It's short. Mm. It's not like it overstays its welcome. It's like an hour and 35 minutes it's, yeah, or something. Yeah, it's about a 100 minute film. Yeah. yeah, so... You know, it's it's in and out. It doesn't, I think, overstay its welcome too much. Um, and again, if you, especially if you have like a decent like home setup, you know, like a big big TV or a projector or something like that, do yourself a favor <laughs> and put on the black hole someday and just like just marvel at how cool it looks. Mm. And if the movie doesn't do it for you, fine. But I do yeah. think you'll at least see something like an impressive spectacle, yeah, I, if nothing else. Um, to compare this very briefly to uh, a film that they would do a few years later that also had two expensive visual effects. Mm. And they tried all these brand new techniques, all to create a unique looking, but not necessarily great looking movie, Tron. Yeah. Uh, Tron was an immensely expensive movie. Mm -hmm. They were trying to pioneer a lot of like really new computer effects. Mm. And it it looks weirdly cheap for how much money they spent on it. I I mean, I like the look of Tron. It's got a cool aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when you figure out, like, all these processes they did to, like, make the glowing effects appear on people and these, like, little glitches appear and how they had to sort of blend characters in with the CGI, you realize that they put way too much work into it for the actual result. And I think the same is true of the Black Hole. Well, I've heard them talk about the making of Tron and how, Mm -hmm. like, you know, because they had to do so much pre-work on the visual effects, it left them almost no wiggle room to adjust the story. Yeah. After that, so the story couldn't develop past the early stages because the visual effects were done, mm. and the shot had to look like this and last this long, and so they were kind of trapped. So, yeah. probably the case here. But yeah. uh, in any case, that is it for the critically well, acclaimed streaming club. The, oh, the, sorry, we're done. But no, the point I was going to make oh, sorry, is that uh, d- sorry, 
Disneyland has never nailed the formula no. in terms of spectacle. They know how to do it in animation. Yes. But they I don't they feel like they've ever really mastered it in live action because they they know that they need to spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. but I feel like they don't really know what to spend all that that money on. Mm-hmm. So they look at something like Star Wars and say, "Let's do something like that." And so they do they try to do Star Wars one bigger, make something that looks great. Mm-hmm. Does it look as good as Star Wars? Yeah, I I'm not sure I agree <laughs> with you on this and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure if anyone if anyone else Wants to chime in on this. We would love to hear from All you. Right. Uh, but uh, Disney has done spectacle well. Mm. Uh, I mean, hell, before this, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, it's a right. wonderfly handsome production. It, it's fine. Yeah. And <laughs> anything, there's, there's a voice from the ether mm. want to contribute. Disney's we, done plenty of bread and circuses, okay? All you, right. You've gotten all of it out there. <laughs> You got multiplane. You've got the exploitation of brilliant immigrants, genius inventions, just to give you your spectacle mm. accepted and enjoyed. <laughs> I, I refuse. Okay. okay. That was the that was the disembodied voice. We're all disembodied voices here, aren't we? Mm. Uh, but that was the disembodied voice of Anne Lapis da Silva, who, in addition to being a wonderful uh, author, check out her uh, retro wave, uh, pro queer, feminist, pro sex work horror novel, Hooker, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, but also uh, the incredible uh, maven of uh, Salt Cat Soap, where she has designed many of our wonderful designs over at Salt Cat Soap mm-hmm. on Etsy. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter yeah. at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, she's also she's also an expert in many many things, and one of them is she studied a lot of animation. She studied a lot of Disney. Okay. She knows of which she speaks. I feel about the way Disney uses their special effects. It's like making chicken pot pie from scratch. You can get it's the f- delicious. You can make the f- get the yeah. finest ingredients. You yeah. can mix them all together. You can bake it, and it tastes exactly the same as the one you get out of the box. So you've had really oh. shitty chicken pot pies. Oh, that's yeah. not a good pie. No, yeah. that, you made it. You've got some really bad chicken pot pie, dude. I'm yeah. sorry. I think that's the problem. But no, I would argue, I would argue that I, a I think Disney's done the spectacle right at least a few times. All right. Uh, but uh, I see some in, in animation. Fun, yeah. Yes, no, no, I agree. But, but I mean live action. I think in live action yeah. they've done it a few times. All right. Um. They were at least partly responsible for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, come on, that's a glorious film. Yeah. Um, but uh, but also, uh, there is something to be said for spectacle for its own sake. And I think, you know, Disney prides itself in doing theme park attractions. I think that's part of it, you know? Yeah. Come in, like, there's not necessarily a lot of depth in all of the Disney rides. Some of them there is. But sometimes it's just, ooh. <laughs> and I think that can be the black hole as well. Michelle? I can see Michelle. She's behind Whitney and be like, she's sitting behind me, and I can feel daggers daggers in my neck here. I mean, I don't know. This is a lot of thoughts, but Disney theming attraction, a lot of it is about taking you as uh, close to the experience of death and getting you out alive in a fun way. Mm. I think that the black hole is one of those actual, it's the attempt to create sort of as close to a themed attraction in the theater as you can get, which is why they use the, I, I think, whatever cinemascope they did at the time, yeah. framing the lenses. They were, this is all related to their other projects that they were doing that were live action um, theme things where you would have like the Journey to Mars and stuff, liftoffs and things like that. It's all mm. sort of spectacularly tied in together. Okay. It's, it, so it's this is of a piece with theme park attractions. Yeah, this is an ex, this is an experience. It's an extension of the creative imagination of Imagineers. Okay. So it's yeah. it's and they yeah. are the ones who did the park stuff. So okay, it's one and the same creative mind. Yeah, uh, and doesn't necessarily make it a good movie, but it is yeah. definitely oh. a, a, it's definitely a, a lens through which to experience the film, which maybe mm-hmm. can make it more enjoyable. All right. um, yeah. Maybe I'm not reacting to the film as as uh, passionately because I hate Disneyland. Well, there and, you go. And, and what can I, we do with that, right? You're, you're putting in a lot of work and imagination to something I hate. So, well, there you go. <laughs> we, we can't we we can't really fight yeah. with that. Um, all right. Well, listen. That is that for the streaming club. Right. Thank you, everybody for listening. You're all really cool. Uh, we'll be back next time. And next time we're going to be focusing on uh, uh, the Criterion Channel. That's right. All of our options at the Patreon poll this week are for the Criterion channel, and we've decided for Pride Month we're going to be looking at queer films on the Criterion channel, and the nominees are uh, Sylvia Scarlet uh, from the 1930s, starring uh, the amazing Catherine Hepburn, uh, Female Trouble, uh, directed by John Waters, uh, Paris is Burning, 
which is another disaster film about that time Paris burned. No, it's a documentary. It's a documentary. And uh, a film I'm actually not familiar with, Corel, which I believe is a Fassbender film. Yeah, Rainer Werner Fassbender film. It was his last movie, too. Okay, amazing. So Mm -hmm. uh, we'll have a a bit more detailed descriptions about those on our Patreon page. Uh, If you want to vote, even for $1 a month, you get to vote for our polls. uh, And uh, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We would love to hear from you. We would mm-hmm. love to uh, let you help us decide what we're going to watch every single week. Here at the Streaming Club, we also have a lot of exclusive shows about Star Trek, Batman, commentary tracks, the Academy Awards. Not on Disney+, Plus, as we discussed here a lot today. All of that's available there. You're also more than welcome to follow us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, you can also email us. Uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is our email address. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a P.O. Box, mm-hmm. uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. We got a postcard. Nice. Somebody mailed us a postcard. It was a 101 Dalmatians postcard from lovely. one of our listeners, and it just yeah. said, here's a postcard. It's better than a bill. <laughs> it sure <laughs> yeah. is. Um, and if, you, uh, if you send us a letter, that counts as a letter for our letters episode, so we could read that on the episode. If you want, uh, if you want more of uh, M. Lapis Da Silva, you can follow her on Twitter at underscore M. Lapis Da Silva. I'll... Make sure we tag her when this episode goes live because she ended up mm. being a vital component uh, component of the conversation. Weird. Uh, yeah. And also, don't forget to check out her soaps. Go to uh, Etsy and look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. Uh, you can also follow Salt Cat Soap on Twitter and Instagram at Salt Cat Soap. Look for the beautiful illustration of Luca, illustrated by M. Lopez Silva. And uh, there's some, uh, we're having a sale through the end of the month on some of our ex- more exclusive items. But uh, we also have a lot of gorgeous... Handcrafted soaps, mostly crafted by Michelle. Uh, So uh, we will see you next time on The Streaming Club, reviewing one of those films. One of those films we talked about today. Yes. On The Streaming Club. And that's how the podcast ends. (laughs) 